0: It's a tale as old as time. Two average guys with a startup podcast hit it big, become podcastronauts, break up, individually fail, get back together, succeed again, and wind up dead. Chris Maxwell and Brad Davis were cartoonishly murdered without a clue left behind. It's been four weeks of dead ends until today. I received an unmarked envelope containing a list of names. All with one thing in common. They're all podcasters. Three of the names were crossed out. Brad Davis, Chris Maxwell, and Robbie McNeil of the Real to Real with Robbie McNeil podcast. LAPD confirmed this morning they recovered the body of Robbie McNeil, murdered in the same cartoonishly violent fashion. Could a serial killer be on the loose? I'm Cara Neff, and this is just getting started. Welcome to the season finale of Murder Case.
1: From Los Angeles, California, it's
0: High On Film! Tonight, we've got Clark Kohler
1: and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. No thanks, Carlos. I don't think I'll be needing my pajamas anymore on tonight's episode. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of High on Film, sobering talk about movies. I'm Chris Maxwell, I'm your host, back for another week, and welcome to another episode in our Noir Vember series. And oh boy, has it been a Noir Vember to remember. We've been celebrating the release of our comedy noir homage podcast, Death at Sunset. And today, we're watching. A comedy noir homage film. Not only to celebrate our show, uh, Death at Sunset, which you should subscribe to, uh, listen to, and review on Apple Podcasts. But also, and seriously also, to commemorate the life of the incredible Carl Reiner. Uh, He died this past uh, couple months, and we are... uh, putting out a podcast in remembrance of him by doing a film he directed. Let's see. Uh, where was I? <laughs> Episode 258, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. From 1982, directed by Carl Reiner, written by Carl Reiner, George Guipe, and Steve Martin, one of four Carl Reiner-Steve Martin pairings that come all right in a row, if you can believe that. Literally the impetus to... Impetus? Is that the word? To Death at Sunset for me. The I watched this movie once and I said, wow, a comedy noir. Wouldn't that be funny with the elevated language and all that? And uh, I brought that to the man that's right to my left. The co-host from the couch, the podcaster of disaster and the Brad Davis that God gave us, Mr. Brad Davis. Chris Maxwell, how are we doing? Brad, I am doing great and I am so, so ecstatic to talk about this movie. This is what I brought to you when I said, I want to do a noir comedy podcast. I saw this. I said, look at the potential here. We should do
2: something with this. And what did we do? We made two seasons of a podcast about it. Um, Correct. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember you bringing it to me. I remember you saying you had just watched this movie and you had this influence uh, and an idea. And... It definitely rolled from there. So, yeah, this really is the catalyst for Death at Sunset.
1: Yeah. And, and this wonderful Carl Reiner film couldn't be a better capping to our Noir Vember because it actually references what, the first film we did in Noir Vember, Double Indemnity, by having Fred McMurray from Double Indemnity cut into this film and his extraneous use of the word baby. Does it play for you any better in this film than it did in Double Indemnity?
2: <laughs> no, I, I mean it's we hear it less. <laughs> we hear it less, so that helps. But
1: they, they arguably only include the the one good baby that he does have in the whole film. Like yeah. or I should say, the best one.
2: Yeah, there's maybe like two, but. Double Indemnity is a damn near perfect movie. The one shot against it, which I don't even know if we mentioned in the uh, uh, podcast for it is he is not very good at saying baby. It does not roll (laughs) off his tongue very well.
1: I I think it's in the trailer to double Indemnity rather Mm -hmm. than the, yeah, our trailer, I should say, not the, not the real one, not the gib gab of the regular work a day podcast. Sure. Yeah, sure. But boy, oh boy, I let, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to our guest. We always have a guest, of course, here to talk about it, and uh, today a very special guest. He is an actor uh, in many things, including both seasons of Death at Sunset, uh, where most recently he plays Coach Kenny Bragg, MVP All-Star Kenny Bragg uh in season two he's also a high on film vet you know him from such episodes as the naked gun the rock american movie and boogie nights clark kohler returns to the show
3: thank you very much gentlemen thank you it's good to see you again via zoom of course uh yeah i was this is a great movie and a funny story about this i saw this when i was a kid and I did not get it at all. <laughs> so I hate it. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't have, you know, the full lexicon of noir films under my belt when I first saw this movie. I didn't get it. I thought it was slow. I thought it was boring. And I had just, you know, I, I watched it because I had seen The Jerk and I loved The Jerk. And The Jerk plays a little bit better for a seven-year-old than Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. So uh, sure. And yeah, re, re-watching it, it's just like... There's, uh, there's a grace to the comedy here that's not necessarily in a lot of the other, um, uh, you know, spoof movies of that time. There's, there's a certain elegance to it. And I think that comes from Steve Martin being one of the greatest physical comedians we've ever seen and Carl Reiner being one of the greatest comedic minds of all time. Uh, it, it, it was great. So thank you for inviting me to watch this. Because I don't know if I would have ever seen it again. Because I you're quite so welcome. As a
1: kid, I'm so glad you decided to do it. And I'm actually thrilled to hear you actually seen it before. I love to to have that perspective on this. Uh, but oh, but I, I am so glad to, to to hear that you've seen this, uh, that you know some of the references and uh, love it because I I really do love this film. Despite its faults, I think it's so so brilliant. I, I think it's such a noble experiment. Mm. Uh,
3: yeah, yeah. And, and I think ha- it did. It it also this technique has been used since quite a bit, but but never. I feel like this is the first time where it's not like. Well, this is the only time I can think of where they're using old footage from other films and interacting with it and having fun with that, but still trying to make it seamless. Whereas most, most films, it's just like, Oh, here, what if, what if, you know, Pee Wee Herman was in a Renaissance film? Not that that happened, but that sort of idea.
2: Sign me up for that movie.
3: Yeah, hell yeah, I'd watch that twice. <laughs> even if I hated it, i watched watch it twice, I'd, I'd be like, I couldn't have hated it.
1: <laughs> well, the amount of work that has to go into it to write an original script around so many existing clips is mm-hmm. so mm. daunting. And already so hard to even think about to be like, okay, yeah. what can fit into every one of these scenes? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll get into into the politics of that in this film. But like yeah. I said, I, I think it is just such a noble experiment to not only honor the old noir films, but also uh, spoof them at the same time, which is, I mean, I think all all three of us know something we try to do with Death at Sunset, at the, you know, all in one mm-hmm. breath. Uh, but That's let's fun. let our listeners in on a little bit of this magic if if you haven't seen the movie and you don't mind spoilers if you have seen the movie and you just need a quick refresher we prepared a little trailer for you to introduce you to dead men don't wear plaid here it is in a world before we could cgi dead people into new movies one man was brave enough to cut old footage into his once contemporary
2: studio comedy
0: Oh, thank heavens for that. After last night, my head couldn't stand it.
2: The great Carl Reiner made a movie in the 80s using clips from movies in the 40s and pairs them with Steve Martin from the 80s to create a noir that could have been made in the 40s. Are
3: you all right? You look as though you're going to faint.
2: Meet private eye, Rigby Reardon.
3: I had a hangover and business was so slow I was rereading old newspapers.
2: That all changes when Juliet Forrest shows up at his door.
1: I hadn't seen a body put together like that since I'd solved the case of a murdered girl with the big tits. With a conspiracy at hand, she hires Rigby to get to the bottom of her father's murder. You know how to dial, don't you? You just put your finger in the hole and make tiny little circles.
2: The one thing he has to go on? A list of names whose members are dying almost as fast as Rigby can track them down.
1: It's a list of names. I found it in a bowl of soup. Don't ask me to explain. Multiple copies of multiple lists are stolen, recovered, and ultimately serve as a device to hop from one 40s movie star to another.
3: I don't see the connection. I don't either. That's
2: what bothers me. The wild goose chase culminates exactly how you think with Nazis.
3: Juliet, what are you saying? He's a Nazi. Don't beg a Nazi.
2: From
1: Universal Studios comes a parody homage of a mystery comedy neo-noir filled with Easter eggs. I'm crazy about you, baby. I'm crazy about
3: you too, Walter.
2: Steve Martin, Rachel Ward, and Carl Reiner.
3: It is customary in these situations for the benefit of the plan to describe it. I beg your pardon? It's also customary for the private eye to tell how he figured it out. No, it is my right!
1: Dead men don't wear plaid. Dead men don't wear plaid. I
0: still don't know what it means.
2: Laugh, or I'll blow your lips
0: off. I'm just beginning to realize it's better to have something to look forward to.
3: Holy fuck, guys. That was amazing. All right, <laughs> uh, man. Why did I even watch the movie? I could have had an extra hour and a half to do push-ups. But instead, I had to watch the whole movie.
2: You were going to do push-ups for an hour and a half.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Because of this, I couldn't and I'm never so... can again. But I had I had that window.
2: I'm so sorry about that, bud.
3: That's yeah. all right. That's all right. Say sorry to whoever has to look at my weak chest.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I am glad you watched the whole movie, though, because that'll make the rest of this podcast uh, pretty interesting.
3: True, true. I can't, I can't, yeah, my my best three scenes from the trailer, that might not be quite as... (laughs) When you said the, that was the one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't jump ahead too much. It's not time for scene work yet, because... And now it's time for trash. Star. Destroy. That's right. It's Trash Star Destroy, our second favorite podcast game. I don't know. I go back and forth between uh, which podcast game is my
2: favorite. Well, you hit an octave there that I didn't know
1: was possible for you.
3: Second favorite podcast game. (laughs) Listeners,
2: don't adjust your...
3: Don't adjust your...
1: There is nothing wrong with your audio. That was my own falsetto coming through. There's just something
2: wrong with Chris.
1: (laughs) Nothing wrong with me, <laughs> guys. It's trash star destroy. There are, there are. Oh boy, we're gonna give you three movies of a similar ilk. One you must trash, which means eliminate it from existence. One movie you get to star in, which means you get to take whatever your whatever part your fragile actor ego heart deci- desires. And the third movie then must be destroyed, which means that the only version of that film that has ever been made has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of Bad Boys 2 fame. So, let's do this being Carl Reiner, having passed earlier this year, the great Carl Reiner of the Dick Van Dyke Show fame, uh, passed on earlier this year at the ripe old age of 99?
2: 90? He uh, was I think, like 93. I think. Yeah, I was going to say. 93? It was like early 90s. Yeah.
1: Something I should have looked up for the memorial, but... <laughs> At a at an old age, I, I I don't mean to dis to discredit Carl Reiner at all. I love him so much, so mm-hmm. much of his work had influenced me. Uh, not only is this movie the direct influence of Death at Sunset, but I also absolutely fell in love with the two thousand year old man I- with Mel Brooks is a seminal sketch comedy bit for me. Mm-hmm. I. Loved it so much. I bought the book when it came out in, you know, I was a child, uh, but it was, it came out probably in like 98 or 97 or something. And I devoured it because I loved the bit so much. So RIP Carl Reiner, uh, really one of the greatest comedic minds of our time. So let's do three Carl Reiner directed movies. And since we're doing Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, let's do the other three pairings he's had with Steve Martin. Mind you, these all came in a row. All four of these films came in a row. At first, it was The Jerk. Then it was the movie we're doing, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, not included in this. So we have The Jerk. Then we're going to skip to The Man with Two Brains. And 1984's All of Me. So from 79 to 84, four movies with Steve Martin, three of them at trial here in Trash Star Destroy. The Jerk, the man with two brains and all of
2: me trash star destroy. Well, I got a star in the jerk. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. I'm trying to think of another role in that movie. That's not Steve Martin. Cause I don't want to take the Steve Martin role. Um, God, I haven't seen that movie and in... I don't want to do the math. Cause it's going to make me sad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll take um... M. Emmett Walsh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll take his role. That guy's always fun. I'll, I can play it up a little bit. He's always a... Uh...
1: You have to run the gas station, <laughs> yeah. I believe. Is that what he does? Yeah, yeah. I think so. No,
3: no, he, he tries to shoot. Oh, no, he's, he's the, shooter, the shooter, right? He's not the gas station. Yeah, guy. yeah, he's yeah, trying, yeah. He's trying to kill those cans. I'm, uh, yeah. yeah. some hates these cans. <laughs> I'll
2: definitely try to kill those cans. So I'll star in the jerk uh, in his role. Uh, I'll give The Man with Two Brains to Bay. I mean, I think that seems to play better into his hands. Um, And then the third one is All of Me. That's the Lily Tomlin one. That is the Lily Tomlin one. Yeah. And then I guess I'm trashing that one, unfortunately.
1: Hmm. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Clark, any uh, difference here?
3: Uh, Well, uh, let's see. I am going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Brad. I'm going to star in the jerk as iron balls, McGinty, um, that cracked that cracked me up <laughs> as a seven year old. And plus sure. having on my IMDb credits that I played iron balls, McGinty at seven years old, <laughs> come on. how much, how much different would my life be? That's like when Homer Simpson changed his name to max power. That'd be fucking incredible.
1: He got yeah, it off the
3: of air. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to be Iron Balls McGinty in The Jerk. Uh, I'm actually going to give all of me to Michael Bay because uh, although, I mean, I mean uh, God, that's tough. All of me is my favorite Steve Martin performance. I think he's so incredible in that. It's some
1: you know, of his best physical performing ever when he is possessed by both Lily Tomlin and himself, and he's pulling himself on the street back and forth between Mm -hmm. what she wants and he wants is, uh, I mean, is peak Steve Martin for me.
3: Yeah. It literally like brought me back into Steve Martin because I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm going to trash the man with two brains. And apparently as, as, as a younger child, uh, the, uh, the middle of the Steve Martin, Carl Reiner partnership, did not agree with very, very young Clark Kohler. It was the first movie that I saw in the theater that I didn't like.
1: Wow. they had two I brains.
3: Bet, yeah. I I don't know if you guys can remember what yours was, too. But, like, again, it was, like, it was more adult humor than The Jerk was. And I just, you know, I, I just wasn't ready for it. It, it was, uh, you know, it was a little too, I don't know if it was too heady or whatever it was. But for whatever reason, I hated that movie it was the first movie i didn't like in a theater so i gotta trash that one because then maybe you know who knows what could take its mantle is the first movie i didn't like in a theater maybe grumpy old men who knows i don't know anyway <laughs> didn't like grumpy old men i was very drunk when i saw grumpy old men <laughs> At how eight? old were you <laughs> uh 19
1: okay 21? that's I mean, fair
3: 21? that tracks uh, yeah, yeah. uh eight so anyway uh yeah <laughs> yeah, in the theater, yeah. Or, yeah. For some reason, as part of volleyball hazing, when I was on the college volleyball team, they took us to see grumpy old men. And I was not in the mood Classic for that. hazing. So blacked out. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, um, so I'm going to give all of me to Michael Bay. I think Martin's, uh, Steve Martin's abilities would trump anything that Bay would... Uh, would ruin it with, even though I'm sure that, you know, Reiner's directing probably helped him a lot because I think his two best performances. I I think, I think his performance in dead men don't wear plaid is excellent too. And I think his two best performances are directed by Carl Reiner. So Mm. maybe that puts that performance in jeopardy, but perhaps we could get a Lily Tomlin, Michael Bay showdown on YouTube, like the David O Russell one. And I could, I, could, I could stand to see Michael Bay getting dressed down by Lily Tomlin while she's just sitting there, very calm. Because I
1: could
2: absolutely stand that. If they yeah. did a movie together, that would absolutely happen. Lily Tomlin yeah. and Michael Bay would just be yelling at each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, this is uh, a little tough. Because I want to be in Jerk, but I don't know if there's a role that I could actually excel at And I would love to be in all of me because of the chance to work with Carl Reiner and Lily Tomlin.
2: So you're removing Steve Martin from that if you did?
1: Well, potentially, potentially. Uh, I think think what I have to be, what I have to do is be the the glasses salesman and the jerk. I'm going to sell Steve Martin the glasses that pull from the nose at the gas station and grabs. yeah and i'm gonna yeah the grabs exactly uh stan marks is that his name something like that um and then i i'm gonna give michael bay the man with two brains i think that's n- at least the most easily adaptable movie for him you know a science mm. experiment gone wrong You know, we can get almost a a what women want kind of thing there. Not that we couldn't get that in all of me, but I I do, like you, Clark, love that movie as well. And I don't want to see it just thrown to the Michael Bay wolves. So I will trash that one, unfortunately, for Lily Tomlin and Steve Martin's wonderful
3: uh, physical performance. I might watch that again tonight. I haven't seen that in years.
1: Well, I think we have time for one more Trash Star Destroy. Let's do. Oh, well, this is a this is our first comedy noir, Brad, for Noir this year. So let's do a comedy noir category. We'll do the movie we just watched, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. We'll do the Cohen Brothers Classics. Uh, the Big Lebowski. And Clark, you've done Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights on the show before, so why not? do paul thomas anderson's inherent vice why not dead men don't wear plaid the big lebowski inherent vice
2: trash star destroy what do you do good question i i I think i'd have to star in lebowski uh and while i i am a fan of lebowski i don't love it the way some people do uh but i do think it's very good Mostly, though, I'd want to be in it to work with the Cohen brothers. Um, and the role that I would take in that movie, uh, I mean, is I'm going between the Goodman and the Buscemi role. Mm. I, maybe the Buscemi role, just because Goodman's so great in that movie. Uh, I, I'd feel terrible taking that away from him, and it would definitely be a step down. I don't have the rage. That he uh, perfectly encapsulates on that movie, um, so that's probably the role I would take. Because Bridget, I, I don't, I can't. That's the role Jeff Bridges was meant to play. Um, so I will star in Big Lebowski. Dead Men. I'm going to give Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid to Michael Bay. I'm intrigued to see what he would. Do with that especially you know have Steve Martin in the movie and there's a little part of me that would just laugh at the idea of Michael Bay ever doing a movie with Humphrey Bogart in it and and then I'm trashing Inherent Vice which I personally was not really a fan of um I thought it was fine uh kind of overrated so I'm okay letting
3: that one go
1: oof okay some tough realities there, Clark.
3: <laughs> All right, uh, I am going to star in Big Lebowski, but I am going to take Walter Sobchak. Sorry, I mean fuck him.
2: <laughs> hey, I, <laughs> I, I don't think, feel I bad.
3: He should feel bad for me. Do I've it. I've got nothing. Do it. I'm I'll... taking Walter Sobchak because maybe I can work with the Coen Brothers forever. Who knows? Because John Goodman has worked with the Coen Brothers quite a bit, and I've got the rage. I've got the rage. I'm ready. I'm ready, and if you give me the chance to trash a Corvette, pull yes. a gun out in a bowling alley, and throw ashes in Jeff Bridges' face, I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take that challenge, and I'm gonna run with it. I'm gonna wear yellow. I'm gonna wear blue blockers the whole time.
2: <laughs> uh, and I would be happy I, to be yelled at by you throughout an entire yeah, movie. F- so
3: <laughs> shut the fuck up, Johnny. Uh, see, I'm ready. Yeah, uh, but anyway. But yes, I agree John Goodman is fantastic in that movie. Uh but still, you know, I'd audition against him if if I were up for it. <laughs> if I, if I were submitted to play Walter Sobchak, I would audition. So, you know, I would try and take it from him. So if I'm offered the chance to just do it for free, hell yeah. Um I free am also paid, my friend. Well, you know, without any, you know, grunt work or sweat on my part. Uh, sure, I mean, sure, okay. Fr- free for me is what I'm talking about. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I am also going to trash Inherent Vice just because I enjoy that movie quite a bit, and I don't, I don't want Joaquin Phoenix working with uh, Michael Bay. He's already worked with Todd Phillips. I don't want to see what happens <laughs> to that guy. I'm, I'm a big fan, and I just don't want to see what happens to him if he goes back to back Bay and Phillips.
1: Uh he becomes the actual Joker.
3: Yeah, he might just like <laughs> he, he might just retreat inside of himself and just uh, disappear. Who knows?
2: Retire from film altogether.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'm I'm giving a, I'm giving Dead Men Don't Wear a plaid to Michael Bay. Um he has a tendency to make very beautiful women look the most beautiful they've ever looked. And Rachel Ward is a very, very, very beautiful woman. So I wouldn't you know, I I hate to be you know superficial about it but we're talking about movies they're a very superficial thing and we're talking uh, about movie, Michael pay and
2: yeah. this
1: movie literally teases her nude scene in a proposed sequel at the end <laughs> yeah. of the movie it does indeed it does. <laughs> the last line of this film says and maybe she'll have a nude scene in the sequel <laughs>
3: it it's a horny movie it's a horny, it movie. A horny it's an, movie it's, it's horny. a
1: very horny movie yeah yeah guys you you you're right on the, the nail's head with me for this. Uh, all three directors I want to work with so badly. And I would love to play surprise, surprise, puppy surprise, a PI <laughs> in a classic noir. But which one is is really is really tearing me apart at the seams here? I I feel like I have to say i'm i'm the dude um, I,
3: knew, I knew you were going to take
2: it i knew
1: you were well, going to take that role if you guys are going to be in it i want to be in it with you guys
3: if we're going to be switch, three, uh, oh, I want to switch i want to be the police chief of Malibu <laughs> so i can throw a coffee cup at your head
1: <laughs> part, of, part of the reason i'm doing this is so we can be the three oh my god so, I, th- that's that's part of
2: this. Well, because I, I couldn't imagine you would turn down working with the Cohen brothers. Like, that's why I knew yeah. you were going to start
3: this. Well, I you mean, wouldn't turn down being the dude, either. Yeah, I mean, well, it really is,
1: it's it's six in one hand, a half dozen in the other with Cohen brothers and P.T. Anderson for me. Yeah. It, that's that's really tough. I almost took Owen Wilson or Joaquin Phoenix in uh, Inherent Vice. Mm. But... You guys being in Lebowski kind of edged me over the uh, onto that side, and I was
2: like, "Well, if Brad and Clark are to be in it, I get to act with them the whole time. Yeah. That's really fun." Now we're just going to know Jeff Bridges for his Oscar-winning performance in Crazy Heart.
1: Hey, man, and Starman—he's
3: awesome in Crazy Heart. He's <laughs> awesome in Starman too. He's
1: awesome in Starman. I
3: just—I just, I just I mean, rewatched Starman during the pandemic. He's so good in that. I did too. It's great.
1: It's absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah, Karen Allen, amazing. Yeah, well, she's always
3: great. Always great. Not that yeah. Jeff. Not that Jeff Bridges is usually a hack. <laughs> Jeff Bridges. Hit he's and good miss. in three, he's three usually, movies. He's usually well. Now shit it's two because Maxwell's in Lebowski. <laughs> that,
1: that's right. Um, but that leaves me to. I think trash. Dead men don't wear plaid because I'd rather see Michael Bay do a period piece stoner noir in LA than I would see him do a classic noir trying to cut in old film noirs. Uh,
3: I mean, Michael Bay's yeah. dead man, De- Michael Bay's Dead Man Don't Wear a Plaid. Oh, I'm sorry, Inherent Vice.
1: Yeah, Michael Bay's Inherent Vice.
3: That is an unwatchable film. <laughs>
1: it, it, it very well be. It very well may be. That's, that's very true.
3: That's the movie that Malcolm McDowell has to watch in Clockwork Orange. <laughs> With his eyelids fucking open. This is my, Michael Bay's Inherent Vice.
1: All right, guys. Well, that's Trash, Down, Destroy for another week. Let's take a moment so we can all uh, digest Michael Bay's Inherent <laughs> Vice for a minute. Digest- and we'll be right back. <laughs>
3: Stealing a line from Inherent Vice, you're gonna get nice. You're gonna have to get nice and fucked up for this meal.
1: Yeah, <laughs> moto panakeku. We'll be <laughs> back in just a second with more Iron Phil, more Clark Kohler, and more Dead Don't Wear Plaid. After this, you loved the Muppets as a kid, but now that you're an adult, can you still love them? That question will be put to the test with the Happy Time Murders. Brian Henson's comedy noir follows private eye Phil Phillips, tracking a killer who's working their way down a cast list of a ninety sitcom. It's a movie that could have been great if they would have made a street noir, but instead they make you and Joel McHale sit through a puppet coming all over his office in Silly String. Melissa McCarthy, Maya Rudolph, and Elizabeth Banks steal the show in The Happy Time Murders. No Sesame, all street.
2: Oop, that's a lawsuit. Can't say that.
1: Oh, um... From the studio that was sued by Sesame Street. And that's Dicey. (sighs) Uh, Sex. Murder. Puppets.
2: Yep, that clears.
1: The Happy Time Murders.
0: Listeners, can I ask you a personal question? Are you getting a good night's sleep? Does your old mattress feel like you're sleeping on the ground? Wouldn't you rather sleep on air? then try Isabel's Incredible Inflatable Mattresses. Now with my promo code, MURDER. You'll receive 25% off-
2: Police! Get your hands up!
0: What's going on here?
2: Karen Neff, you were under arrest for the murders of Chris Maxwell, Brad Davis, and Robbie McNeil. From reel to reel with Robbie McNeil. My favorite podcast, you son of a bitch. I hope you fry for this.
0: You'll never be able to prove it was me, Copper.
2: You were careful, sure. But not careful enough. You missed one thing.
0: Huh, not a chance.
2: You didn't know Robbie was recording a podcast when you killed him. Got it all on tape. The episode came out this morning.
0: The- they released it.
2: And I'm glad they did. Give me one last chance to hear his angelic voice and witty insight.
0: He had it coming anyway. He said the jerk wasn't funny.
2: His imperfections made him relatable. Now read her her rights and get her out of my sight.
1: Welcome back. Hi on film talking Carl Reiner's dead men don't wear plaid a noble experiment of a film uh, using old film noir clips edited into contemporary footage with Steve Martin uh, creating a brand new uh, film noir comedy that honestly is pretty wonderful. Uh, before I dig into it any further by myself, let's get into our segment of scene work. We're an optimistic podcast, so we like to start things optimistically. Best scene. We'll rank these three, two, one. Uh, From the third best to the second best to the first best scene in Dead Men with Don't Wear Plaid. Of course, scene, we use a little loosely on this show. Uh, It could be a performance. It could be an element of the filmmaking, whatever you want to interpret it as. But uh, let's dig into it anyone have a good strong ranking for
2: three two one of best scene uh I do uh, okay. I mean not strong but I have a ranking uh, all right <laughs> um for me the number three scene uh it was more and it was almost the anticipation uh, of seeing Bogart on screen uh, and then the bit that I think goes from carries over from the phone call into when he actually walks into the office the first time is the steve martin saying are you still wearing that no that button-up shirt with no tie bit the way i hate it yeah. <laughs> that it, it's it, it's because it's such a great joke to obviously that's the way bogart's wearing it in that you know the old movie and to use that because it is kind of dumb looking for his cool like bogart's one of the coolest looking you know movie stars you can find and he's wearing this stupid button up shirt with like one button at the top and no tie. And between my anticipation of, you know, seeing him interact with Bogart to that little bit uh, really, really worked for me. And it, it tickled me. So uh, my number two is the pouring of the coffee in, grounds mm. into <laughs> the pot. Um it's sim- you gotta have a cup of my Java. Uh, it's simple, and it's just Steve Martin like pouring coffee grounds into into a uh, pot, uh, and he's gonna make the strong coffee to wake up the drunk person. And he just—it's one of those bits where he starts pouring the coffee, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it's 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 funny at first, and then you start going so far into it, like, wow, this is really going on for a while. And then by the time it goes on, and then it goes on so long that it's hilarious all over again by the end of it and just steve martin i mean steve martin plays it up perfectly just the look on his face the uh his his facial expressions during it just cracked me up and it's it's like that's vintage steve martin carl, carl reiner right there uh a simple brilliant comedic bit
1: Steve Martin's facial expressions literally mimic your own journey like he gets bored with it (laughs) and then he gets more excited almost finishes the bag and then you find out he doesn't finish the bag and then actually does finish the bag like a minute and a half later it's such a fun bit and a a classic bit and a great roller coaster I that is is my number two as well
3: oh mine as well mine as well actually
1: Oh, consensus number two. Yeah, Yeah,
3: it's a consensus number two. And uh, the the thing that kills me with it, like the thing that really cracked me up was the sigh. (laughs) He he sighs in the middle of it as if to say like, here we go again. (laughs) It's just, it's so good. And it's his Java as
1: if he doesn't know the recipe. (laughs)
3: Yeah, it's just like, this is the part I hate, you know? Like, it's like... Anytime, like you're making a recipe, there's like, oh god, it's so good, it's so fucking funny. I laughed out loud by myself, which is, you know, for whatever reason, it's something we don't do very often.
1: That's true, uh, a crime that we don't do it more often. But yeah. you're you're right. It is it is a always a good earned laugh if you are in a room by yourself and you laugh at a at a gag.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: Brad number one. Uh, well. I, I figured the coffee thing would probably hit all our lists. And what my number one is, mm. I kind of assume th- there's a good chance it might hit all our lists too, which is uh, basically the climax where Karl Reiner is uh, revealed to be a Nazi. And the bit of Karl Reiner and Steve Martin battling to reveal... It, it's Karl Reiner revealing how the bad guy, you know, the you know, the very James Bond villain, like how the bad guy plotted everything out but then it's also steve martin's private eye saying no it's the pri- as the private eye i gotta explain how yeah, i figured yeah. it out and the back and forth of them trying to race to explaining how it all came to be is perfect it's a yeah, perfect ar- ar- comedy bit.
3: which Yay. Yeah, which cliche is the one that we're going to stick with? <laughs> it's so good.
2: And it's it's a perfect, like the two cliches playing off one another and watching Carl Reiner and Steve Barton just go, because Carl Reiner is in this movie very little. He's basically in one mm-hmm. early scene and then this this climax. And to just watch those two play off one another and go back and forth with trying to explain who, um, you know, who gets to tell how it all played out is brilliant.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's a great head-to-head of two classic movie tropes. L- like you said, Brad, the-, the James Bond villain revealing his whole plot versus the P.I. who reveals his whole uh, investigation at the end. The way they trade off, especially because Carl Reiner and Steve Martin were so comedically in sync, is just so perfect. It's written, I mean, so... Carefully flawlessly. and so perfect, flawlessly. Yes, thank you. That is exactly the word I mm-hmm. would have wrote. This is why we write things together. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like Death at Sunset? Now available on Apple because Podcasts we both and Spotify. Write the same thing. <laughs> um,
3: and and I think it's all in one take. I could be wrong about this, but it looks like it. Yeah, and and just it's just two great live performers on film. And, like, the, when they when they culminate and they say the last bit at the same time with not, like, there's not a millisecond between it. They said it the exact same way, the exact same time.
1: Vaudevillian like, perfection.
3: Hell yeah. Yeah. It's just, like, that took some work, but that work must have been really fun for them. And, like, the passion that that takes combined with the fun they had like you know a lot of times when you think of people grinding and doing work with comedy so often it's a blast yeah great but point it takes forever to get right
2: that's a great and, point you see the fun they're having like the, it yeah. looks like they're just having a blast together and that's mm-hmm. and it, it 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 even enhances it that scene even more because you could see just two friends who wrote this movie together just having a ball
3: on screen. Right, but but they're also perfectionists, which is well, which yeah, is of course. Great. Well,
1: that's why I mean the precision of this comedic timing yeah. is, I mean, throughout the whole movie, absolutely pitch perfect, mm-hmm. or I guess second perfect. I don't know if the pitches. Yeah,
3: yeah, they're they're both they're both such meticulously, they're just such meticulous performers, but mm-hmm. to the point where it's, but they're still very naturally funny on top of it, where they yeah. could coast on it. But like, you know, like you see with Reiner's accent work, like his his accents and characters are always so great. And Steve Martin's physical comedy is always Uh, legendary. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so rubbery, but looks so natural. And 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 just like, I don't know, they're they're incredible, incredible performers. And we're lucky that we we were lucky to have ever had. them, And we're lucky to have one of them still. Uh, Yeah. But yet, I, I well, actually didn't have that in one of my best scenes. Oh wow! As a of fact. Well, yeah, uh, Clark.
1: Please tell us what are your three top three?
3: All right. So number two, as 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 we know, was coffee pouring. Uh, number three for me was um, was the scene with uh, Betty Davis, where
1: oh the Betty Davis scene. I love
3: the Betty Davis scene just because, like the the um the voiceover or he's just like yeah I wonder if she, wonder if uh, Gladys was or whatever her name was it's the same as yeah. she always was she used to do stale bread and she would always try and toast it and, the, <laughs> and she's like oh the bread's not good maybe we should toast it and and oh man she was she was so cheap she used to smoke tur she used to smoke turkey and keep it around for a month and then feed it to the maid he's like oh <laughs> I had some smoked turkey but the cleaning woman must've eaten it. And then it goes into like the whole cleaning woman, cleaning woman. <laughs> it's just such, it's, it's such like, a. I mean, I love the cleaning woman bit so much. It's in two of my three best scenes uh, because I hope this is what they were going for. Like it was a parody of how domestic violence against women was so commonplace in noir.
1: It because- was actually, you know, I this was honestly, I, I've been dying to talk about this actually because it's it's something I learned doing research for this movie. Is that the cleaning woman bit in this is actually an old va- vaudevillian bit that's actually called "Slowly I Turned." So it's a it's a two to three man bit where you do this thing where you say, uh, "Oh, I've I've had this experience and it really scarred me." And, and then the experience takes over your psyche and you go, oh, I can't control myself. And you start to like hurt that person. Right.
3: <laughs> really? And, okay.
1: and right. And, and then the bit is then a third person enters and they unknowingly say the same trigger words, but then instead uh, of hurting them, you hurt the first person again.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: that's okay. Good yeah. It, I mean, it's a classic vaudeville bit. You see it in, you see it over and over in, in thousands of things but I never knew it actually had a name and it's called Slowly, I Turned.
3: Slowly, and I Turned.
1: Yeah, and it's so you turn into this... this
3: Into this monster.
1: This <laughs> triggered monster who can't control your own emotions and actions. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and it is. It's terrible in this film because it actually is used for violence against women. I do hope it is against the... Noir tropes, but there's so many other very sexist noir tropes in this film that I have no hope that that's actually what they were doing as much as just nodding to the original Vaudevillian roots.
3: All right. So let me let me tell you what my number one scene is, because this is in it anyway. uh, So when my 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 favorite scene is when she first sucks the bullet out.
1: It's great. Like a snake bite.
3: Yeah, yeah, and then it goes into uh the cleaning woman bit and <laughs> she she says like and, you know he just turns around and says sorry. That's that's what makes me believe it it, it it's it's a it's a parody of the do- domestic violence that's just okay because it's always just shrugged off in those old movies. And he's just like sorry. And then and then he tells the story and she's like, "Oh, I don't blame you for strangling me."
0: <laughs> that yeah.
2: line did get
3: me. Which is yeah, <laughs> which is obviously like anyone anyone should blame you for strangling or them, but um, but yeah, that whole and it, and it goes into another like that's a strong stretch of the movie for me.
1: My number. Th- well, I'll tell you that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll I'll leave my number three for the suspense because that's the one we haven't mentioned yet. Number one is absolutely the dueling plot reveals for every reason we've talked about. I love James Bond villain versus P.I. <laughs> trying to one-up each other, explaining how everything uh, came about. It's, it's so wonderful. Uh, but number three for me is um, the Easter eggs in this film for old old movie lovers and old film noir lovers specifically the lana turner scene where he steve martin rigby reardon leaves her or well he i think says they're reunited and he says oh the last time i saw you was sitting at a lunch counter and i left you there and that's the actual lana turner hollywood discovery story was that she was sitting at a lunch counter she was the last And and most famously iconic person who was literally eating lunch in Hollywood and a Hollywood producer looked across the counter, saw this beautiful girl and said, wanna be in pictures? <laughs> and that's true. And the fact that they integrate that into Steve Martin's dialogue and into the scene that they cut Lana Turner into is... I just find so charming and I appreciate so much on so many levels just because you don't have to know that to make it a fun little just backstory that, that Rigby Reardon is, is mentioning. Mm-hmm. But if you do, it just adds more. I, I, I don't know. I just, I appreciate those things so much in filmmaking and for something that's such a homage to film noirs. I, as something Brad and I do in Death at Sunset, I appreciate it so much, and that's my number three for Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid best scenes. So, if there's a best scene, that implies there is a <coughs> worst scene. What do we think, guys? I can go first here. I, I have some nitpicks. Go as for much it. as I love this movie, I have some things to get off my chest. Uh. Number three for me, the Fred McMurray and double indemnity scenes are almost too cobbled together inside this film. Uh, everything else, all the big stars they have, all the scenes they they compile. Yeah, sure. They're not as natural as you'd write them if you were just writing a screenplay straight out. But they fit to a degree, right? And the double indemnity scenes they use, just the way they're cut into the film, the way they're chopped out of their old movie, the way they're written into this film, because Walter Neff, Fred McMurray's character, is supposed to be this uh, cruise director. It all just feels so... a little mismatched. And it just feels like a, a real misstep in the movie that maybe they could have chosen different scenes or maybe even a whole different actor other than Fred McMurray, as much as I love him and Double Indemnity. But again, did did we need to hear him saying baby one more time? I don't know if we did. Hit me baby one more time.
3: Yeah, Britney Spears disagrees.
1: (laughs) Hit me McMurray one more time. (laughs) Uh, Number two for me is... um, the the bergman uh mickey scene i feel like doesn't play the best as well again another another scene where it's just not the, the the old clips don't line up with the new clips as well as i'd hope them to uh again super small
2: yeah they don't all work like that's the i mean one of the things of this movie like yeah it's it, while it doesn't always feel shoehorned in it always is has to be shoehorned in because that's the only way it works so right of course but i mean i would argue that i would say
1: 75 percent work better than the other 25 percent
2: yeah i think that's a pretty good split 75 25 sounds about right yeah to me.
1: and then uh, number one for me is the sexual assault where uh i mean it happens twice once at the beginning when uh Uh, what's her name, Joan Allen, not Joan Allen (laughs) Juliet Forrest Rachel Ward Ward.
3: Juliet Juliet Forrest
1: Forrest. when Juliet Forrest is passed out and he steals a kiss from her and then sexually assaults her and he does it again by quote unquote adjusting her breasts and I guess it's okay I, I don't actually believe this but at the end they go hey look she gets to sexually assault him too And adjusts his wiener (laughs) in one of the final lines of the film. But it's just, oh boy, does not age
2: well at all. Especially to start off the movie with that. Like, that's like one of the first things in the movie is you just see him sexually assault. You're like, oh God, okay. Wow, this is off to a terrible
3: start. Yeah, it's the first thing he does other than read the paper and answer the door.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's get to your bottom three scenes.
3: Okay, um... The other two are are basically just, yeah, yeah, clunky um, integrations of the old with the new. Uh, the Cary Grant train scene. That Is this was, three you know, for you? Number three? That's number three. Yeah the, yeah, the Cary Grant train scene was... Uh, from
1: Suspicion.
3: Yeah, from Suspicion. That one, it, it just was blatantly, I don't know, it's just, it was, it the rhythm wasn't there. It's a completely different... You know, the film stock's a lot grainier. Yeah, Um,
1: it really is. It stands out that way. It mm -hmm. is. And it's it's it's
3: just super awkward. The fact that he's even talking to this person that is, you know, like following him. And then, I mean, there is the one good joke where it's like, you don't smoke, do you? He's like, no, I have tuberculosis. Thank God for that. That's kind of funny, but it's not worth it to even have that scene in there. Like, there's no reason to even have that scene
2: they wanted Cary Grant in it. And that's obviously like yeah. they, sh- that one is v- while I enjoyed seeing Cary Grant on screen, agree that that one feels very shoehorned in.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's also not the Cary Grant I want to see, you know? <laughs> and number two for me is, uh, the second Marlowe conversation. That also feels very shoehorned in. And just like, we're, we're uh, Humphrey Bogart's at the payphone. And mm. and he's just like, oh, you're not still wearing? Are you wearing a tie? And he's just like, bye. It, it, I'm just like, <laughs> why is this here? At I mean, it's all? for the bit later, like, probably. Like, but... Let's get some more. Yeah, so get some more bow. But he, he's basically just saying, hey, hey, don't don't do what I told you to do. Do this instead. Like, just have him do that. The first time. I know it's like you know it's only 88 minutes, so you can't complain about too much fat on the film. But that one again was just pointless it was a pointless scene to me
1: and yeah. number 1 is the assault number 1
3: is the uh, the rape of the woman yeah i uh <laughs> i stand with you chris <laughs> and yeah it was it was so jarring it's maybe it is it nowadays
1: it is very jarring it's crazy that we laughed at this how many years ago i mean not 30 uh, <laughs>
3: uh yeah 38 years ago No, almost 40 yeah, yeah. 40 yeah, almost. yeah i mean it was and there was so much shit like that back then all the a lot of those comedies oh Revenge of, of the nerds porkies like all oh, that
1: porkies
2: like, yeah terrible all right brad you got some more scenes for us uh yeah i mean the number one is the opening kissing her while she's passed out feeling her up while she's passed out um Yeah. The number two, I mean, I think it's where he accidentally punches Juliet and then feels her up again. Um, Sure. Mm -hmm. Which I guess I could have just put it all into one category of all the times he sexually assaults her. But, um, (laughs) but I, I mean, there's that there's yeah. I mean, it's, it really is so problematic and it's played to be so funny like they think that's such a funny joke and it's, it just isn't, I can't believe it. I mean, I, I know what it was back then, but it's just insane that it, it was. Um, And then the number three for me is actually uh, the cleaning lady bit. I just, I didn't like, I understand what they were doing now that I know it's this vaudevillian bit too. I mean, that would have probably changed it for me, but Again, he's strangling... Like, it just was more violence uh, against women in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I didn't think... It, it pays off in the end because I it like, kind of comes around and is, like, the thing that s- saves the day or whatever. But um, it, it just didn't play as funny for me at any point other than the line Clark mentioned where um, the, you know,
3: you... You know, you, I don't blame you for strangling me. I don't blame
2: you for strangling me after he kind of explains the story. Like, oh, that, that kind of made me laugh, but overall, for a bit that's the, one of the main consistent bits throughout the movie, it just... Not terrible, but it just wasn't great for me. Clearly, we all have uh, the same problems with this film.
1: I think that makes it a little less than perfect. Yeah. Um, and more or less a product of its time, really. Yeah. Um but unfortunately good scene work, are all yeah unfortunately all right guys well let's get us out of this and get into something else how about the our other maybe favorite podcast game it's time for <laughs> milking it guys this has to be our top, one of our top two favorite podcast games to play. It's time for milking it. We're each going to wheel out. We're not each going to do this. I'm just going to wheel out the big old computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000. And I'm going to fire it up, the old machine that it is. And it's going to give us a printout of a couple of things for each one of us to do. And it's essentially to make a brand new movie out of the genres, the ideas the title the scenes the characters the plot points whatever we want to use of dead men don't wear plaid and uh reform them into a brand new movie under the guise of a sequel a prequel a brand new genre uh or potentially directed by a new person or starring a different actor it'll also give us a pitch time if you will which will be either 30 seconds one American minute or a minute and a half to get your pitch out of a title and a quick summary of this brand new film. Uh, we label those as elevator pitches for the 30 seconds, water cooler pitches for the 60 second and a boardroom pitch, the executive pitch for the 90 second drawing, if you will. So let's fire up the old computer and see what she has for us today oh boy here we go brad i think it has you first sir okay you have the you have the elevator pitch, 30 seconds. Okay. Can, do you, can you read what it says there? Uh, yes, elevator pitch disaster film. Yeah, a disaster film. Dead Men Don't Wear Planet is a disaster film.
2: I'm ready. I feel good. Not ready. Good luck, to, my friend. Not ready to say it right now. <laughs> but I'm prepared to think about it and give a, a, an elevator pitch.
1: We'll at least announce Clark's picks and my picks before we get to your of, elevator pitch. So. Of course. At least. Minimum. Yeah. And I I may have uh, gotten out ahead of myself there. Clark, you're next. You Ooh. have the water cooler pitch, One American Minute. And, oh boy, you have a director card. I do. Do you see that? Yeah. Oh, Can shit. You, yeah. Do you want me to read that to you?
3: Uh, yeah, go ahead, And Oh, shit. No, You know what? I got it. John Woo. I got John Woo, guys. Oh, Dead men, don't
1: wear plaid. Directed by John Woo. <laughs> I want his plaid
2: off. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here.
3: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'll
2: stay. I'll stay. I'll stay.
1: Especially because that leaves me with the boardroom pitch. 90 seconds to get out the... Oh, well, this should be interesting for a movie with two different decades of actors. uh, A reboot. I'll do the reboot of Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Mm. All right, guys. Let's take a minute to regroup. Gather our thoughts. And we're going to come right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment. After this you know what's crazy about this movie is that they say the titular line right and they say they don't know what it means but apparently the scene that explains what the titular line is was cut out of the film
3: i i read that
1: yeah it's crazy right it's absolutely crazy I really want to know how that happens and if that happens in any other films where the actual, I mean, Reservoir Dogs? Is there a cut scene from Reservoir Dogs that's like, <laughs> well explains guys, why Well, I guess we're a bunch gone. of Reservoir Dogs. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least there's a voiceover scene in this movie that says, dead men don't wear plaid. Yeah. I never <laughs> so understood what that at least satisfy that from it. Uh, yeah, I never understood what it meant. All right, guys, we're in the middle of milking it. Let's get to it. We're starting off with the Brad Davis that God gave us and his disaster film in the form of an elevator pitch, 30 seconds long. Brad, are you ready for this? I am ready for this. A title and a quick summary, and the elevator doors are closing, and
2: go ahead. Okay, Steve Martin is going to star in this movie, but instead of cutting in movie stars, we are dropping Steve Martin into disaster films. So he will go up uh, in the spaceship to stop the asteroid in Armageddon with Bruce Willis and the crew. Uh, He will watch the world get destroyed in deep impact from the top of the hill. Uh, He will be there for the aftermath of Day After Tomorrow. And he falls in love with Amanda Peet in 2012 in the movie Dead Worlds Don't Survive Natural Disasters. Very nice. Thank you. Well. Yeah, a lot of
1: high-on-film Easter eggs in there, too, which
2: I really appreciate. Well, we did did two disaster films at the beginning of the season, so it worked out well. Hard to say it didn't at this point. (laughs)
1: All right, Clark, (laughs) you're up next with the water cooler pitch. One American Minute to do a John Woo. John Woo's Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. You're walking up to the water cooler, you see the executive, he's coming your way, he's grabbing a little paper cone cup, and go ahead.
3: Hey, fellas, are you thirsty for a hit? Guess what? I got John Woo, and he's going to bring us Xiao Yun-Fat, Hong Kong's biggest star. And he's coming here, and he's going to be a detective in America. Guess who's going to visit him? Eve Archer, played by Joan Allen. Yeah, the lady from Face Off. Something's wrong with her husband, who's a police guy, but he's also a dove trainer. All the doves are missing in America, and he's got (laughs) to find them. We're gonna to go to Nakatomi Plaza to see what's up. John McLean's making fists with his toes. Chow Yun Fat saying, "Hey, what's going on? We gotta figure this out. What's happening with these doves?" And then, you know, where else are we going to? we're gonna see Martin Riggs? We're already in L.A. He's about—he's got a gun in his mouth. He's gonna say, "I miss you," and not kill himself. And he's gonna help him find the doves. And he's gonna find out that. The guy's just got a different face. Nick Cage has got him the whole time. So Nick Cage is John Travolta. John Travolta is Nick Cage. And this movie stings. It's called Style Points. Buy it now.
1: Style Points. I like that a lot, actually. That's a really catchy title. Great title. I'm I see a with John the 80s cocaine
3: theme for the, uh, for the pitch.
1: <laughs> oh, that was clear.
3: Yeah, all right, good. <laughs>
1: No, I, I would definitely go to see John <laughs> style points. That's awesome. It's pretty good. It is it's very good. Very good.
3: I got Cage, Travolta, Gibson, you don't. Willis. Yeah. Fat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Strap in. I've got the executive, the boardroom pitch. 90 seconds of which I think I'll probably only use 45 of. <laughs> Good, can't wait for for the reboot of Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. I love you're
2: cutting yourself right before you speak to the executives.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This, This is a little tougher than I expected it to be. Understandable, understandable. Here we go. We got Steve Martin. All right, he's back for the reboot. Only this time, though, we're making it today, set in the '90s. He's dyed his hair black again, and he's ready to take on Rigby Reardon for one more time. We follow them through Los Angeles of yesteryear, meaning the 90s, uh, by intercutting clips from some of our favorite neo-noirs, all right? So we're using Jack Nicholson in Chinatown, of course, maybe getting some Faye Dunaway in there. We have Elliot Gould in The Long Goodbye. Oh, boy. Well, I don't really want to set in the 90s anymore because I realized that a few of my... (laughs) by people that I want to put in this are not in 90s movies because I want to use Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Brick. I want to use <laughs> Catherine Waterston from Inherent Vice and uh, Scott Hansen from Black Dahlia. So we get all those cut into a movie with Steve Martin. And yeah, we have now a new film noir, neo-noir homage called Doesn't make any sense anymore. Dead dollar (laughs) jinkos. (laughs) Because I forgot about the '90s thing, and then now here we are.
3: Oh, best milk yet. That was really good, Chris. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I I think you write that up tomorrow. It's man, can I can I double buy it? Yeah, (laughs) is that a thing? Can you? Can I I sign you to a ten film contract of that? Yeah. All right, Dead cool. men
1: don't wear jencos. I think that's a a pretty dynamite idea. If hey, you if you ask me, we
3: don't know oh, why it's I called. I just got De- attacked. Steve Martin just killed himself because he was attached <laughs> to this. Oh boy, oh, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ!
2: I mean, they don't yeah, explain it's why it's called Dead men don't wear plaids, So Dead men don't wear
0: jencos yeah, isn't true. explained
2: either. Exactly. Just like you
1: planned it. Perfect reboot. Just like I planned it. <laughs> Guys, I think we sold two movies to a major studio system today, so congratulations. That's <laughs> great. Yep. We did it. Me and Clark are very proud. Yeah. Brad Davis. Yes, Chris Maxwell. You just watched Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. What are you going to do
2: next? That's a great question, Chris. Um, I... I am due. I'd gone on a little binge of like the first season plus of the Dick Van Dyke show. And uh, w- once Carl Reiner had passed away, and I hadn't had a chance to go back to it. So I do really, I really would like to go back and dig back into that show because it was a show I loved as a kid on Nick at Night. And um, I just haven't had the time to, to finish up that that run of watching. So that's what I want to do next.
1: Yeah, you got me into that, man. I'm on like season four.
2: It's outstanding. It's yeah. it's
1: outstanding television.
2: It really is. And talk about, talk about a great who's
3: physical a, comedian.
2: Was about to say the same thing. Dick Van Dyke Wait, is sir. genius. I, I mean, I hate to like, but like maybe better than Steve Barton. I mean, Dick Van Dyke is the original physical yeah. comic genius. And when you watch mm-hmm. this show, it is on full display.
1: Clark Kohler, you just watched Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. What are you gonna do next?
3: I'm going to watch all of me. All this talk about all ah. of me. I mean, I, I am going to watch it again. because I, I mean, I love it. I love it. And I mean, you got two comedy, three comedy legends working on it. You know, you got Steve Martin, Lily Tomlin, Carl Reiner. What's, what's, what's wrong with that? Nothing.
2: Chris Maxwell, you just watched Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. What are you going to do next? Oh, boy. I think I'm going to watch The
1: Bribe. The, the movie that Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid features that has both Charles
3: Lawton and Vincent Price in. I was, I was curious about that too. Yeah, I love that Charles Lawton scene. I had never seen it, but I, I love him in that little bit.
1: Like I, I I didn't even know this movie existed, but I really want to watch it now. That, and I will also uh, recommend In a Lonely Place, which I believe there's a, a scene of Humphrey Bogart taken for this movie but it is one of my favorite humphrey bogart performances uh, outside of casablanca and a wonderful film noir guys thank you so much for being here for the end of Noir Vember. i hope everyone both here on the podcast and out there in the listening world listens to death at sunset where you can hear myself you can hear the work of brad davis you can hear the wonderful voice work of clark Kohler, and many, many other people, including Zach Pfeiffer, who did all the original music. It's such a wonderful film noir podcast that I hope you indulge in uh, four parts. You could pick either season, too. You don't have to listen to one season to
3: listen to the other. Start with the first one, because you can binge the whole thing. The second one, it's not all out yet. So yeah. start with Part the first. Three. You're going to love it.
1: Part three, this Friday. So get at it at Death at Sunset on Twitter and uh, I'm at cross Maxwell across your social media accounts. That's Chris
2: with an O in place of the I. at BD always GP Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, this Friday, uh, Thanksgiving's Thursday. We know a lot of people have off Friday. So listen to the podcast.
1: Yeah. We're very thankful for you too.
2: Yeah. We love you. Sorry to be yeah. so
3: aggressive. <laughs> yeah. We're thankful you sons of bitches and daughters of bitches and bastards.
1: That's that's how we go out here on High on Film, guys. Clark, I love you. Thank you so much for doing love the show, buddy. Love you,
3: too. Love Thanks, you, guys. Pop. Hope to be on the same coast with you soon. Goodbye. Bye.
1: Neff, you got a visitor.
0: If it is an old detective Pikachu, to what do I owe the honor?
2: I've been over this case a million times. I got the who, what, where, and when. There's only one thing I couldn't figure out. Why'd you do it, Kara?
0: You couldn't figure it out? I'm disappointed. You know what the most popular podcast genre is?
2: Celebrity-hosted ones?
0: True crime. And how do you ensure the future of a true crime podcast? Commit true crimes.
2: I gotta know. Was it worth it?
0: If I would have gotten away with it? Sure. Sure. There's no telling how many seasons I could have done.
2: I guess we'll never know. But you got three life sentences to mull it over. Now that's a wrap on this murder case.
0: Bitch stole my line. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions
1: podcast. For more information, follow at Hion on Film on Twitter and Instagram, or email the show at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. Special thanks to Carly Walsh for lending her voice to this episode.